second reading, selected verses from Hebrews chapter 11. Faith enables us to see and to believe in the unseen promises of God. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised, they only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. The word of the Lord. How often do you think about heaven? That's probably a tough question to answer because we don't normally keep stats on our thought patterns. We'd hardly expect someone to respond, well, I think about heaven eight times a week, once each day and twice on Sundays. Doesn't usually work that way. But I'm afraid we have a problem on the other end of the spectrum. If we're honest, most of us would probably have to admit that we don't think about heaven at all. I've got so much on my mind. What with taxes and bills, terrorists and wars, work deadlines, vacation plans, health risks and home repairs starting a new semester, planning a wedding. I don't have time to think about heaven. The Christians who first received this letter, this Bible book known as the letter to the Hebrews, had a similar problem. They had a lot on their mind. They were getting picked on just for being Christians. The apostles Peter and Paul had been executed. And the emperor Nero declared the Jewish religion to be legal, but Christianity to be illegal. Some of these Christians began to think, well, 
maybe what we ought to do is go back to that Old Testament way of life and follow the rules and the laws from Sinai that our ancestors did. Then we'd be able to make both God and the government happy at the same time. But this Bible writer says, whoa, 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 hold on there. Don't go back. You'll lose sight of your ultimate goal. You need to be looking forward. Hold on to your Savior and his promise of a better home in heaven. If you have ever been frustrated by problems in life, I'm going to go out on a limb and guess that's most of us. If you've ever had to deal with sickness or shortage of money, or being at odds in a relationship with someone you're close to, then this portion of Scripture is for you. We have a tendency to look back. Nothing wrong with looking back, but what happens if we get stuck thinking about the past? This Bible writer gives us a whole new outlook so that we are always looking forward. Looking forward. Looking forward to a heavenly country in a city built by God. The sand ground between his teeth. Blech! He could try to shield it with his hand, cover it with his helmet, but sure enough, without fail, every day the wind blew grit into his MRE, meal ready to eat. It was tough enough keeping his weapon cleaned, oil ready to go. But his food, ugh. And then there were those late-night, all-night patrols and the upside-down sleep patterns. By the time he stepped off the troop transport and planted his boot on the tarmac of the good old U.S. of A., it was, ugh. Did you ever travel to a foreign country? Ever visit a distant land for business pleasure study? It can be quite interesting. Different cultures, historic sites, interesting people. But then there are always the rules and regulations, passport and police, strange food and perhaps maybe strange language and food at the same time. Making people who travel to foreign lands long to be home We have good reason to thank God for the advantages that we enjoy here in our land, in America. I mean, think of it. After all, the Lord God could have planted us some other time in history, like in France, 1799, a revolution. Or in Cambodia, 1975, cultural genocide. Or in Chernobyl, in 1986, Nuclear disaster. But here we are in the good old U.S. of A. in 2019. We have reason to thank God and to burst out in patriotic fervor. But, but we don't want to lose sight of our ultimate goal. And to do that, to keep our eyes on the ultimate goal, not get distracted, distracted by all the things we enjoy in our land, and our home, to keep our eyes on the ultimate goal, we, we take a cue from this Bible writer 
and remind ourselves that our country is not perfect. Captain Obvious, right? Wouldn't it be terrible if we got stuck in living in sin and getting bothered and pestered by sin forever? If we always had to struggle to put bread on the table and earn a living, if we always had to worry about a leaky roof or rising health care and insurance costs of mudslinging politicians to say nothing of senseless shootings in El Paso and Dayton the last couple of weeks, the 255th mass shooting in this land in this year alone, to say nothing of the messes we make and the problems and hurt that we cause because of our turned-in-on-ourself nature. Abraham knew what it was like to live in a foreign country and long to be home. The Bible writer says, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. Do you know that after several decades of living in the promised land, Abraham did not own one square inch of it except a tomb he bought for a grave he bought for his wife's tomb, a cave. Other than that, he knew that his descendants would inherit the land, but he was a wandering shepherd, and he had no legal claim to any property. He would think that eventually, after all those decades, Abraham would be feeling, well, that's it. I've had it. I want a place to call my own, to raise my family and tend to my sheep. But he didn't say that. He didn't do that. The Bible writer says all these people, Abraham and his son and grandson, admitted that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they'd been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Every day, Abraham could push back the flap of his tent, stick his face out and say, well, this land of Canaan is nice, but it's not perfect. I can think of a time that my shepherds got into it with my nephew's shepherds just over the use of a stupid well. And then there's sinful Sodom down the road and gross Gomorrah. And then there's also, in my life, the laziness I felt spiritually when I let my faith and trust in God get flabby and out of shape trusting my own schemes instead of God's promises. Oh, I don't deserve it, but what comfort I have in God's promise that I can look forward to a heavenly country. Heaven is my real home. The people who received this letter, just like Abraham, these people who received this letter had plenty of reminders that this earth is really not perfect. And nor were they. They were getting pressured and persecuted just because they believed in Jesus. And they also had plenty of reminders every day of their own sin and their own failures. What, what comfort and joy. <laughs> they didn't know they didn't deserve it. What comfort to hear from this Bible writer that they could look forward. They had a heavenly country to look forward to. His Bible writer said, it's perfect. 
And it's already been prepared for Jesus for you. Look forward to a heavenly country. Heaven is your home. Like Abraham, like the people who first received this letter, the troubles and heartaches and disappointments of this life remind us that our place on earth, this earth, is not perfect. And neither are we. Every morning I get up and look in the mirror, and you do too. And there I see, and I bet you do too, the worst problem. It's, it is I. I'm the chief of sinners. You know, it's, it's nothing, there's nothing wrong with looking back and being honest about our, our failures and our sins and our weaknesses. But what happens if we get stuck there in the past? The Bible writer says, go ahead and look forward. <laughs> Even though you don't deserve it, it's true. You can look forward to a heavenly country. It's perfect and already been prepared for you by Jesus. Don't you feel like you want to join with me to sing, I'm but a stranger here. Ready? Heaven is my home. Don't you know that hymn? Don't you want to sing it? You don't know that one, Nick? No? Okay. I'll teach you later, right? That's how it goes. I'm but a stranger. Heaven is my home. And it's true. We're looking forward to a heavenly country. Heaven is our home. 620 feet long, 513 feet wide. The Roman Colosseum was the largest amphitheater of its day, constructed 2,000 years ago, and they didn't build it into a hillside for support and construction. It was a freestanding amphitheater with a stone foundation able to seat 50,000 people. How did they do that without cranes and heavy machinery? I don't know. It's just one of the features of Rome, the magnificent city, capital of the Roman Empire. Throughout history, people have built cities for a variety of reasons. Two of them are, first of all, so people could provide and and make a living providing clothing and food for others, but also for security reasons. They built cities so they could protect their property and possessions and be safe. The Lord God wants us to enjoy the property and possessions that he has put on loan to us. We have reason to thank him for the prosperity and the security that we enjoy, but we don't want to lose sight of our ultimate goal. And so we need to have these reminders is from the Bible writer that the cities we live in, the towns, the villages, the places where we are, are not permanent. You don't have to drive too far from church to see new buildings being built and streets being paved, but also old buildings falling apart and streets that are crumbling. Did you know that in all the decades that Abraham lived in the promised land, he'd never lived in a city? Some of you Bible readers and Bible studiers are thinking, well, wait a minute, I thought I read somewhere in Genesis that Abraham lived in Beersheba. The Hebrew word for Beersheba, that word Beersheba means seven wells. It was an oasis for his sheep. Abraham lived north, south, east, and west in that land, but he never built Abramsburg or Abramapolis. He never was hiding behind a fortress to protect his property. He lived in tents. Some of the people who first received this letter 
in the writer to the Hebrews, were eyewitnesses of the burning of the section of Rome called Shantytown. It was Nero's pathetic attempt at urban renewal. And then he blamed the Christians for the fire. Just a couple years after this letter was written, Jerusalem was leveled, ripped apart stone by stone, and left as a pile of rubble by the Roman general Titus and his Roman legions. Lots of reminders that their cities are not permanent. Oh, what a comfort for these people to receive this letter and knew that they didn't deserve it. But their writer says, the Bible writer says, God is giving you a promise. You can look forward to a heavenly city, a city built by God. And just like Abraham, just like the people who first received this letter, we get plenty of reminders that the cities, the places where we live are not permanent, but we also can look forward to a heavenly city, a city built by God. And there is only one reason we can be absolutely sure that is true. If you want to know what that reason is, don't look in your clothes closet. Don't look in your purse or your wallet. Don't even look in your heart. Because if you do, you're going to find clothes that go out of style or won't fit next week. Or you're going to find money that slips through your fingers faster than a popsicle on a 98-degree summer day. And you're going to find in your heart rot that makes a garbage dump look like a garden. And yet, the Bible writer comes to you and to me with a promise from God. You can be certain of what's coming and you can look forward with certainty. And what's the reason? We have that certainty. One reason alone. It's because of one man. The God-man who walked and talked up to and exceeding God's highest expectations. That God-man Jesus lived that life that we can't do. And here's the cool message of Scripture. God counts that as your life and mine. And that's the guarantee. That's the guarantee. And we can look forward. We're looking forward to a heavenly city, a city built by God. And it's true. But are you thinking, oh, heaven. Thinking about heaven. That's, that's so far out. That's so far away. That's so far in the future. I've got so much on my plate right now. I'm dealing with so much. I don't have time or energy to think about heaven. But right about then is when the MRI shows a tumor. And when you get those subtle reminders that you cannot see or hear or do the things that you do, used to do. And then you get a taste of what my father-in-law experienced this past February. My father-in-law had two surgeries, craniotomies on his brain for bleeding on the brain within 10 days. We thought the next time we'd see him, he'd be in a coffin. Praise God, he pulled through. 89-year-old guy, he's doing well. And last weekend, we were together with my father-in-law and mother-in-law and my wife's siblings for a family gathering. And my father-in-law reminded us as we began our weekend that not only he, not only he, but we have something better. And not just something better, but the one thing, the one thing that gives us comfort and strength through all of life's pains and problems, we're looking forward to a heavenly city, 
A city built by God. Native Americans have their happy hunting grounds. Norsemen talk about Valhalla. Hindus hope to be absorbed into something nothingness called nirvana. Muslims think that they're going to end up with an eternity of wine, women, and song. Mormons believe that they have to become a god by following Mormon rules. If they do, they will become a god and create their own universe. But all of those dreams, hopes, and ideas about an afterlife have nothing to compare with the beauty and the bounty of a personal relationship with a personal and loving God. None of those hopes and dreams and future ideas about some kind of afterlife come with any kind of assurance or certainty that it'll be true. But God has a better plan and a better place. The plan is Jesus. The place is heaven. And God himself swears that it's true. Count on it. Amen. Amen.